Hey everybody, I'm Rima. And I'm Peg. And this is Strange Indeed, a podcast dedicated to the Netflix show, The Fall of the House of Usher. This week we are covering episode two, titled The Mask of the Red Death. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love the love the poem, the story, uh, and loved this episode this week. Yeah. This was a this was a good one. It's a brutal one. Um, it <laughs> by was. the end there. It was. Damn, but but yeah, a lot of good stuff. Yeah. It was. Um, and we we never got, you know, we just got back from a trip. Like, we're literally just seeing each other, like, online here. But we just spent a weekend together along with the rest of our said friends. Um, and we never mm-hmm. got a chance to really talk about this episode much. It's probably good because we, we save, yeah. it all, save it all for this. But um, we, we certainly were uh, pimping the show out pretty hard to all of our friends oh, yeah. who hadn't yet started it. <laughs> started trying to get them to I've had a few it. people message me being like okay I'm watching it now <laughs> good <laughs> uh, yeah I was trying I was like now I've only seen the two but it's so good you gotta and and then I know a couple of people were like I already finished it and I'm watching it again and just absolutely <laughs> loved it so that was really great to yeah. hear yeah yeah this this was a really uh I, I thought another stellar episode I know I was just I mean, they totally got me in the premiere, just totally fell in love with the series already in the premiere episode, um, yeah. as we talked about uh, when we covered episode one. But, you know, I think they're really continuing, um, in my opinion, with some really stellar content. And, and I just really love it. But a little bit of a departure. I don't want to go into the details, um, but I've I've seen a little chatter. And I mean, I I thought so, too. I don't remember as much gore and gruesomeness in um, Flanagan's other series. So this was a little bit of a departure. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, I'm sure we're going to talk about it, but it was definitely a little different. He's, he's definitely got the scares down. Um, he, I guess he's going for something a little different um, in this yeah. episode. So, but another good one. So with that being said, let's go ahead and jump into it. Cause I'm, I'm really anxious to talk about it. Um, what is your first point of the night? All right. Uh, I'm going to get a little interesting with this one. Uh, let's talk about Ligadone. Uh, yeah, let's. <laughs> we, we heard the name in the first episode with the trial and, and Dupin bringing it up. as we So we kind of knew this is the main medicine that a lot of the kind of trial is about and the way that they've been taking advantage of people and, and people have been dying and there's addictions and and overdoses and things like that and legally they're trying to hold the usher family liable because of this medicine so we hear the we heard the name in the first episode but here we get to learn more of it and they it, they talk about it more dupin and and roderick do but then we also get to see it kind of in a flashback and as roderick was pitching it and so i just thought it was really interesting to see how important this drug is really to this whole story and to this family that it has played such a very pivotal like role in a lot of things mm-hmm. it's the biggest success yet probably the biggest downfall of this family as well their biggest closet skeleton uh of the, the usher empire it's this pain medicine it's like a 
catch all. Like it runs the entire gamut. You know, they keep mar- uh, marketing it as like you know from headaches to serious surgery recovery, and everything in between. Like anything that could possibly be causing any level of pain. It's just the like one pill does all. You know, there's dosing is differently different, but this is the medicine that anybody goes to for anything. Uh, the big downside being how incredibly addictive it is, even though they market it as not addictive. Mm-hmm. And so that leads to this slew of uh, cases and uh, charges and all this stuff, you know, because of people uh, developing drug addictions and all these overdoses and things that are happening because of it. Uh, we see Roderick Younger again. Uh, <laughs> Zach Guilford. Love that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Working at Fortunato again, so he—it's weird. I, we still don't have all the pieces of how everything comes together. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we saw them as kids, and then their mother was the secretary to the guy who was running it at the time, and now this uh, Griswold, this Rufus Griswold, is in charge at this time frame that we're seeing in the flashback, and he's working there in communica- uh, communication logistics, but somehow he has gotten himself in the boss's office pitching this medicine. Which, I don't know, it's like, can anybody in a medical company just go and pitch a new drug to the CEO uh, if you have the right connections? I don't know. <laughs> I, I guess if you make an appointment, then, mm-hmm. and you find a, a hole in the schedule that you can get in there, I guess so. It sounds like he wasn't right. even really sure what he was there for. He thought he was someone else, so he may not yeah. have been paying attention um, as to what is on his calendar. Just goes yeah. with what his secretary <laughs> puts on there. Right. But yeah, but so we see Roderick pitching the Ligodone to Griswold, uh, which obviously this is what leads Roderick to the absolute top of the company over time. And it probably didn't take very long once things started getting rolling. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though he did not, Griswold did not take this this pitch. He did not go with it at this time. But we know that things definitely end up working out for, for the ushers in the long run. We see Roderick and Madeline really talking about, well, He's not going to take it now. We'll we'll make sure that you know he takes it anyway. We're gonna we're gonna find a way to get this thing on top, whether he likes it or not. We still don't have all the pieces of how they get there, but but we know this is really the biggest stepping point in you know A to Z of getting Roderick Usher on top and the CEO of this company. And again, it's kind of that pain. It's I like he says it's not pain management, pain erasure for everything. Sounds like a really great drug, so of course it would come with a. Uh, Lots of asterisks, right? Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, one just a little note about that conversation. I thought it was really interesting that there's this mirroring of both of the younger versions of Roderick Usher and August Dupin, uh, Dupin and both of them saying or speaking about changing the world mm-hmm. was a really big part of both of their kind of monologues in this episode, coming from two very different viewpoints, obviously, but... I love that, you know, this world needs changing. I'm here to change the world was a, a big viewpoint and big talking point for both characters. Uh, so, yeah, I just wanted to kind of bring up Ligodone, the importance that clearly it, it has. I think we will definitely see more pieces of it and how it's really important. Uh, lastly, just how it plays a part in we really learned Juno, uh, Roderick's new wife. Uh <laughs> <laughs> That, that Ligodone was a big part of that. Uh, August mentioned something about her being a heroin addict, and he's like, yes, see? Success story. Like, she went from that to now this. And uh, we get that Lenora and Juno interaction that was so incredibly awkward. Uh, 
I mean, anything's gonna be awkward when you lead it off with walking into your, you know, grandfather getting frisky with his new wife, who's a woman that's younger than your own parents. Uh, <laughs> yes. But yeah, then you get this whole bonding thing between them, quote unquote, uh, which just leads to even more awkwardness. Whereas Lenore gets the story of their hospital room meet cute, right? Uh, <laughs> that just gets gets weird, like. <laughs> Just more and more awkward. It just yeah. it does not get character better. Character of Juno, she does kind of remind me of of her character in Midnight Club, is the way that she's just going to say whatever comes to the top of her head, yeah. and it's like, oh, that was too far, you know? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, but we find out she was an addict who then was on, like, a, like, insanely high dose of Ligodone, like, that they had never done before to help her recover from, like, a car accident, is what she says. Uh, and Roderick views her as this like giant success story that he puts on a pedestal. Uh, still a little strange for people to marry their success stories, but mm-hmm. you know, uh, I'm, I wonder if we'll learn more about those, you know, that situation and what led from one thing to another in that relationship as well. I hope so. I have a lot of questions about a lot mm-hmm. of things so far. Um. Yeah. But yeah. So that's my first point. It's just the uh the the pill in the middle of like all of this story really right now. Mhm. Yeah. And clearly it's important because you know Roderick that like that's where he starts, right? When they're having that conversation. It's like this is where all of all of this began. So we get that origin story from Ligodon. So I I liked I liked getting that history and kind of finding out you know the backstory of that and still kind of you know, not yet knowing how they got to be um, uh, in control of the company, you know, because it's like that was one of our questions from, you know, the previous episode was, you know, OK, so the the other guy died, so they couldn't have just automatically taken over. Right. So then who's this Rufus guy that took over? But he's, you know, somehow they're going to come out on top um, and take take the company or something's going to happen that they're going to, you know, be owning the yeah. company and have control of it. But I'm curious, how did Roderick get a hold of this ligadone? Like he he talks about this chemist. He's like, first we got to hire, you know, we got to hire this chemist. He's the one that developed it, or better yet, buy buy this company. They've already got it up mm-hmm. and running. It's already in place. You know, we just, it's ready to be, you know, we just take it over and buy it out and roll it out. How, how did that connection come into play? Right. Like how, right. cause I mean, he, he didn't, Roderick didn't like invent it or, well, I yeah. mean, maybe he has this idea. I mean, he doesn't um, develop it himself. Maybe he hires someone, maybe it was his idea and say, I want a pill for you know for this and and used this chemist to develop i don't know um i'm just right. really throwing this out but i'm curious like how did that start um, right because we know he doesn't have the money that he had <laughs> you know like right. he can't just like pay somebody to oh now just come up with this drug that i have yeah. in mind because he's living in this like tiny little apartment with a wife and two kids right now at this point so exactly where does where does that pull and that connection come from yeah yeah so how how does he know this chemist you know that that developed it and how how is it that roderick is the one kind of taking it and pitching it you know to to fortunato versus this um you know 
another company that this chemist works for. So definitely had some questions um, about that, but I, I loved getting getting the backstory there. Yeah, I love the flashbacks, and of course seeing Zach Guilford is a bonus. Um, I like what, <laughs> like what you said about uh, the 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 quote or phrase that kind of ties the uh, Depen Roderick. Uh, together and that's this world needs changing that's actually my first mm-hmm. point so I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because i do yeah. think that is what for these two ties them together it's interesting to see this we get a little bit of a backstory on dupin he's uh, a fraud investigator looks looks like a medicare fraud investigator and he is already on the trail of fortunato and we hear rufus griswold kind of mention this like disaster he's trying to yeah. you know clean up right so I, i'm assuming that this is what this is about and depends on this case you know about the drug trials and these bodies being missing and it sounds like that they're exhuming these bodies and getting rid of them before anyone else can get a hold of them and run tests or do whatever to find out what their like real cause of deaths are so he's He's um, determined and he's gung ho and he's, you know, ready to fight the good fight and bring down all of these evil, powerful men. Um, yeah. You know, which we'd see that's how big of a deal like really is life's work for mm-hmm. this guy, because he's been after Fortunato before the ushers even had anything to do with it. Right. Yeah. Long time coming. <laughs> Long time coming for, <laughs> for both of them. So, yeah, he was already uh, going after uh, them way before the ushers were um, in charge and had taken over. So you've got, you know, Dupin on the one side trying to fight the good fight uh, and seems to really believe, you know, in in taking people like um, them down, which, you know, can't blame him there. And one thinks the world needs changing. You know, he says that. But then you got Roderick Usher, who wants to create a world free of pain you know, because of what his mom went through. You can really hear the passion in his voice when he's talking to Rufus Griswold about yeah. how much he had to watch his mom suffer. And that, that I think, is also noble. I think that there's something, you know, to that. And it's, um, and of course, it came through this drug, this ligadone. Now, of course, the way that, you know, whether or not he knew as he's pitching it when he calls it non-addictive, I don't know that. I don't know if it, it you know, he could have just been saying that and continued to market it that way to say that. Because, I mean, knowing that it's addictive, because I think they said that in the first episode, like you knew it was addictive, but you, you market it as non-addictive. But yeah. did he know it at the time? I don't know. But it's interesting to see these two men um, sitting across from each other, you know, how many years after all of this um, that they seem to have almost like a respect for each other, that they once shared like a similar dream of the world needs changing, but they both kind of went about it in different ways. Um, And, you know, did they really change the world? You know, who knows? I mean, I've, you know, I I don't think for the better either one of them at at this point, you know, I I don't think Dupin was able to really stop anything. I mean, the usher still, had their drug and it sounds like it ruined a lot of lives um you know roger gresher and his family they all sound like pretty bad people if he really knew all those things and obviously not not great um 
but it's interesting to see them come together, um, two men on the opposite sides of the coin, but also kind of having, you know, similar thoughts and feelings, um, but going about them different ways. And I think also what ties in um, the phrase, this world needs changing, is Perry. Because uh, it feels like that's what Perry is kind of after as well. He seems to want to change uh, his world anyway by becoming respected in his own family, wants to kind of, you know, change the status quo. Seems like all of his siblings, they either think that he's the informant or they all just really look down on him, uh, yeah. you know, because of the circumstances of uh, of how he came to be in the family and, you know, the... Um, how their dad, you know, got to be with his mom and how he came to be. So it seems like, you know, he's looking to change, you know, how he's viewed by his family. So he's also looking for, you know, a change uh, in his world. So it kind of ties all of them, in my opinion, um, kind of together. But I do, I do love the dialogue between uh, Dupin and Roderick. Yeah. I, I really like their conversations. Um. But yeah, that was my first point was was just in particularly that phrase and how it kind of tied all three of these characters in this episode together. Um, What is your second point? All right. I want to talk about Madeline, really, Uh, mainly just like one scene. So I have it kind of Roderick and Madeline, but it's this directly after the the pitch meeting there with (laughs) the Ligodone. But just this conversation that they have at Roderick and his wife, I guess, first wife, Annabelle, mm-hmm. uh, which, so that was probably what, what Frederick and Tammy, I think would probably have been the baby. I think those are the oldest yep, two. Yep, Tam- Tamerlane and, and Frederick, yep. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so we see kind of this relationship that Roderick was just kind of this humble, normal family father husband kind of guy at first who knows what all kind of led to him you know all this power going to his head and he just kind of becoming this type of person who travels around the world and has children all the time (laughs) who doesn't even know he's having them sometimes i assume uh so we don't really see again I, i wonder if we see more of the change in personality and how you know roddy became the roderick usher that he is today or or was before this big fall uh because he seems to be like a very heartfelt, normal, good, humble, romantic kind of guy. We see him uh, reciting the uh, poem. Uh, it's a po poem. A poem. <laughs> I it's like is it? Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's reciting Annabelle Lee to his wife Annabelle, and in this Poe-less universe, because it's based on Poe's works, right. Roderick is the one that wrote this poem for his wife. Mm-hmm. Um. Of course, in reality, if those who don't know about Annabelle Lee, that is Poe's final complete poem he ever did. Uh, it was actually published 1849, shortly after his death. It was the last one that he did. And side note, my favorite. Love that. <laughs> yeah. It's a good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, in that conversation, we get more of Madeline that we didn't know about or really see in the first episode, that she is as Annabelle calls it, like, the high-tech person, a tech person, but she's like, well, it's not really that high-tech, it's just algorithm, al- algorithms, it's math, it's, it's, it's just understanding the human condition, really. Uh, but she is the algorithm person of the family, way on the forefront of this. Yeah. Uh, 
people weren't talking about algorithms and things like that back in those days, really. I, I don't uh, know. I would know what that is back in that <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> those days if someone is having, what are you talking about? <laughs> so, but, but Madeline, that is her bread and butter. That's what she knows. That's what she has clung to. And that makes me wonder about the time frame. Is this stuff happening before or after their meeting with, with Verna in the bar? I know. I've, Wondered that I was just thinking that too uh, on my second watch. Like, when in the timeline is is that yeah. before or after that bar scene? Is because then it's like, well, are these connections with the Ligodome chemist and this, you know, knack for algorithms and understanding things? Are these things that they have gained because of some kind of deal or bargain, or is it, you know, mm-hmm. their their own minds before that? I'm not sure, but the the whole conversation was fun. I I liked. There was the dig. There are a lot of AI and algorithm stuff. There's the dig where uh, Madeline says, like, hell, an algorithm could write movies and TV shows. And uh, Roderick just goes, not well. <laughs> I, I mean, it's um, <laughs> absolutely perfect considering the current climate with the strikes yeah. for the writers and um, the, the actors right now. Uh, absolute perfection. Yeah, Good job, was, writers. Good job, writers. It was really funny. I definitely <laughs> yeah. chuckled yep. at that. <laughs> not well. I thought, yeah, not well. I was intrigued by Madeline's behavior mm-hmm. in this. Because, I mean, she's there hanging out with Annabelle before Roderick even gets back home. So, like, there seems to be some closeness. But then the whole conversation, Madeline's, like, very pretentious and talking down to Annabelle, like... It almost like she has some kind of disdain or hate for her that just kind of lies underneath the surface. Uh, and it's just me reading into it, but maybe it's this whole, like, well, you know, Roderick's worth so much more, and you're sitting here wasting his time and energy just by playing housewife when he could be out accomplishing much better things if you weren't holding him down. Like, I know it's a weird thing for me to jump to her, but it's like the vibe that I got. I don't think you're far off. I, I, I do think she... <sighs> feels superior you know to annabelle and you know feels that yeah maybe roderick is better than her i I definitely got a bit of a vibe from her too like this is all like we 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 are made for bigger and better things this is all just a waste of of like time and energy Mm -hmm. is so i got that vibe too i don't think you're far off yeah yeah but it just it was interesting to see this side of Madeline. We know that she's kind of this driving force behind them, even though Roderick is the CEO, is you know the little step ahead of her. But she really is pulling a lot of strings, and and we see that uh, you know she's the one that really pushes him. You know, when you hit a brick wall, you don't turn back; you go through. And right now, Griswold is their brick wall, uh, and obviously, somehow they tore right through him to get on top. They absolutely did. So he was not that big of a <laughs> obstacle. But yeah, I just like some of the other lines uh, where she talks about down the line, we could mimic human consciousness. That is immortality talk right there. Uh, so like that. And then another, you know, can an algorithm write a poem like Roddy? <laughs> it's like, well, Annabelle, let me introduce you to chat GPT. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> literally did an entire run for your lives episode. That was just chat GPT generated poems uh <laughs> i remember so, yeah <laughs> so yeah uh yes yes it can uh you know rhythm can write a poem i don't know if quite like roddy or or poe eh, in this instance but it, it can do poems um 
and yeah, so then we see the older Madeline in the, I want to say current timeline, but not really, because it's still a flashback from, like, after the deaths of all of the kids and stuff, I think. I wasn't sure, like, where in the timeline this is taking place, because it's Lenore and Madeline. We don't I, really see. But I think I think it's still before, because I think uh, Freddie talks to her about it. Yeah, I think um, it's still before. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but we see the older Madeline has this very Black Mirror-like algorithm. You know, be right back, anyone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's like having a like digital recreation of a person. By, you know, having that individual answer this lengthy, like, questionnaire, filling out a journal, and then it also, like, breaks down the entirety of this person's, like, online, you know, uh, in social media existence. So it's picking up all the nuances of their personality and the way they think and the way they talk to basically make a a chatbot out of somebody, out of their likeness. Uh, As Madeline had mentioned, that's immortality talk. It's sort of kind of an immortality of a kind. And then it's interesting that Lenore is the subject of this project right here. Mm-hmm. Do you recall in episode one when Roderick kept kind of getting interrupted by text messages from his granddaughter Lenore? Yeah. Do you think it was really Lenore or this AI version of Lenore? Ooh. I had not even thought about that until you just said that. But that could be a a good kind of twist. Because, here's what I was wondering. Um, At the funeral in the first episode, now you mentioned that, because it was like Roderick and Lenore on one side, and then like everybody else was still sitting in another spot. Mm -hmm. To where like any conversation that they had, and you know, there's this grampus thing that is what she said but in this episode she says oh yeah i used to call him that and it almost wonders we know that roderick sees ghosts so that is a really good uh thing to point out there's like was even was lenore even there at that funeral uh (laughs) well just the way that madeline was talking about this like ai version uh in like literally just create a, a whole almost person, digital person. And I'm seeing this today. Didn't they? I I don't try to pay too much attention to anything that has a headline with the Kardashians or Jenners in it. (laughs) But I thought I saw something, um, just a headline that somebody did something with Kendall Jenner's likeness. Like there's an Instagram account or something uh, that is like her image and her voice. And I think it's something similar to that. Like you can interact yeah. or I could be, be completely way off base. Listeners are probably like, oh my gosh, you don't know what you're talking about. Where I heard something like there was somehow uh, an, an AI likeness uh, of her captured. And hearing this episode and what they were ta- what Madeline was talking about doing with Lenore, I was like, I aren't we doing that right now? I mean, yeah. <laughs> is that, is that what this was about? Cause I, I, I should have went back before I even mentioned it and just looked it up to, to validate. But I, I, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I feel like that's what I saw. Like that's, that's a thing that's happening like right now. And we know yeah. that, you know, there are people using the, you know, AI technology in not good ways. I mean, there's, I think mm-hmm. there's probably some good use 
of it, there are some good things that can come. And then there's some, I think, negative things like with everything, like with all technology. Again, Black Mirror gives us these cautionary tales of how, you know, technology can start out as a good thing, but it's people that screw it up. Um, And that's, of course, the the, the case with AI um, that can be used for for bad. So I, I don't know, but it just and I don't know, I don't have any like evidence to like back that up. But it's just like made me curious there were these text messages and he kind of just kept ignoring them. He seems to have a genuine love for Lenore. I mean, he called her and um, Gino, his wife, when they were in his office, my two favorite, two favorite ladies, you know, so he seems to have a genuine affection. If, you know, it's curious. I don't know if it was just that he's having this conversation with Dupin that kind of, you know, overrode that. Um, but he just seemed to have a, I remember, um, a strange look on his face when he kept getting these text messages and just ignoring them. But yeah, I think I didn't even think about that till you mentioned it, but now my mind was like reeling with like, Oh no, but then what does this mean? And could that is, yeah, the, the idea that Lenore is the one doing this AI personality kind of recreation thing. And yeah, the text messages that he seems to kind of be ignoring and the way that she didn't talk to anybody else but him at the funeral. It, it could be a really cool twist that you might have seen coming in advance a little bit. I don't know. We'll I, I don't know. And I don't know what the, <laughs> I mean, and I don't know why or the purpose, if it, if that is the case. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Um, it just got me thinking. Uh, I like all of that. Madeline is very interesting. You know, we, you, you definitely called it last, uh, last week when we covered episode one about uh she's definitely a a, a driving force probably a big driving force behind where they are today uh yeah. not letting anything stand in their way and i knew she was i mean you could definitely tell she was smart but she's not just smart she seems like a certified genius you know yeah. with with what she knows and again is that natural or did she get get that way through maybe some ill ill-gotten gains or something like that i don't know but i was like yeah. wow you're not just like intelligent and business intelligent you're like genius level to um mm-hmm. be where she's at in um the times that you know there was not the technology like we have today um so it's it's she's an interesting character for sure. And there's just certainly something about her and Roderick's interactions, too. I don't know. I know they're close, and maybe it's a twin thing. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. Um, my next point, I wanted to talk about the use of color. Um, in the Mask of the Red Death Poe's story, you know, it's about this, you know, lavish ball. It's a masquerade mm-hmm. ball. Uh, and the attendees, the people that go to this ball, are trying to um, seek refuge from this plague, right? And yeah. there are, in in this tale, there are rooms that are decorated by colors. Um, blue, purple, green, orange, white, violet, and black. And they symbolize different stages of life. And I am wondering if that is going to be a theme in this series as well. Because I think they start in this episode with the color red. Mm -hmm. Um, In the episode, 
Perry is often seen wearing red, and he's being illuminated um, a lot by red light. And there's symbolism behind the color red. Um, Perry himself, he has a bold nature. He's passionate. Uh, but then also very lusty. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we, <laughs> we get a, a clear picture of that for like first thing, you know, um, with him in bed with, um, you know, a, was it just the two girls in his bed, or it was, oh, no, it was, it was like, like a whole five or six? Okay, people. yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was like a yeah, a whole, a whole bed full of people. So he's clearly very lusty. Uh, red, you know, kind of represents that as well. Uh, red can also signify fire and blood, which I think ties into the whole ending with the sprinklers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then with uh, Verna and her red cape. Um, the lighting with her and Perry talking in that red room, uh, you get that red illumination as well. And I, I feel like we keep seeing it over and over and over and over in this episode. So I think red plays a color in the episode, obviously, but I think also is going to, or not just red, but color schemes are going to play a part in the series, I wonder, because if mm-hmm. as much as what we saw red, we got a little bit of, um, oh shoot, is it, is it Camille? The, um, PR. Yeah. The daughter. Yeah. Okay. I didn't have her name written down and I blanked for a minute. Um, she is like, she has white hair. A lot of what she wears is, has white in it and her office mm-hmm. is very white and stark. Um, so there was a real contrast there. So I, I yeah. just, I, I, I think color is going to play a part. I don't know if it, what else it will mean, but I just think it, I'm seeing a theme just in these two episodes. So I, and I love that. I love that. I love mm-hmm. that it kind of ties into, um, Edgar Allan Poe's story of, you know, symbolizing, um, the colors in the story, but also playing a part in this series as well. So I hope, I, I hope I get to see that. Yeah. What um, is your next note or point? Uh, I want to talk about the mask of the Red Death. Uh, yeah. yeah. You, you mentioned it a little bit there, that last scene and a lot of that. Uh, of course, those who are familiar with Poe, very familiar, would maybe see this coming a little bit just with Perry, with his name, Prospero. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I found this really cool kind of breakdown of the story that I can read just so it's just like, so somebody gets a real idea of what it is. But the mask of the red death is a story set in an unnamed country during the time of a deadly plague known as the red death. Like you mentioned, which causes its victims to suffer from sharp pains, dizziness, profuse bleeding before succumbing to death. The disease is described as being highly contagious and fatal with no known cure. Prince Prospero, the protagonist of the story, is a wealthy and eccentric nobleman who takes refuge in his opulent abbey with a thousand of his closest friends and associates, seals himself and his guests inside the abbey, believing that they can escape the Red Death by isolating themselves from the outside world. Within the abbey, Prospero organizes a masquerade ball, a lavish and decadent celebration featuring different rooms representing various colors and themes, like you said, Uh, and the partygoers indulge in pleasures and distractions seemingly oblivious to the suffering and death occurring outside their fortified walls. 
However, as the revelers enjoy themselves, a mysterious figure dressed in a blood-stained and grotesque costume appears. The figure is described as having the appearance of a victim of the Red Death. This uninvited guest moves through the different rooms, causing fear and unease among the guests. Prospero, outraged by the intrusion, pursues the figure with a dagger, only to find that the figure disappears before him. The presence of the Red Death seems to defy Prospero's attempts to control and isolate himself from it. Eventually, the figure reaches the final room, which is shrouded in black and decorated with a large ebony clock. The figure's appearance terrifies the guests, and Prospero himself falls on the floor and dies. The revelers, realizing that this figure is the embodiment of the Red Death, also succumb to the disease and perish. So... Good story. It's... Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good one. I've always liked it. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah, they... I should have seen it coming more even in this episode where it's like, cause it was still at the end. I'm like, what? And then it's like, no, that, no, that makes sense. Of course, this is always going to end this way. Uh, you know, as you're watching the, uh, throughout the episode, it's like, I'm going to build this big party and all these people. And you're like, uh, because the universe that this is in, I guess it doesn't exist, but, uh, if you, if you read Poe, you would <laughs> know this is a bad idea. Yeah. Um, but yeah, cause he's got this, big uh wild orgy death party i call it uh where everything sounds good right up until the end there yeah yeah <laughs> the death part take that out everything yeah, else sounded great not as fun <laughs> uh yeah where he invites morella his brother's wife also to this party mm-hmm. just to get back to him just to get back at freddie for being a dick to him earlier um i've got a question about that but i'll get to that uh yeah i just want to talk about the end a little bit it was just as that story was there, uh, Verna is is the Red Death, this intrusive guest that the story talks about. Of course, she's not as grotesque. Honestly, she's the exact opposite. Oh my gosh, um, Carla Cugino. Pardon me for my uh, honesty, but I'm going to say, damn, Carla Cugino looking hot in this episode. Holy crap. I cannot um, argue with that. She <laughs> looks freaking amazing. Absolutely yeah. hot, yeah. Yes. Uh, but yeah, uh, the party is crashed by Verna, and really the only people that see her or track her at all, except for like the bouncer and the staff and stuff that she gets them to leave later on. Mm-hmm. But really the only people that see her or pay any mind to her are Perry and Morella. Um, and has this, you know, conversation with Perry in one of the bedrooms with her usual cryptic conversation that's super ominous. Everything that she says feels like it could be layered with all kinds of foreboding warnings, uh, you know, telling him about consequences with the line. I like, you know, you are consequence, Perry. And tonight you are consequential. Uh, of course, he doesn't have any idea what she's talking about. I'm just like the first episode. I'm still very, very intrigued about this character character of verna uh mm-hmm. who is she what what is, is she? she yeah yeah uh yeah so she kind of leaves perry with this really ominous message and i like the way you know because he like leans in for the kiss and closes his eyes and when it's not there she, he opens his eyes and she's like changed like like you know a little shroud and the hood and the mask and stuff are back on her as she's walking out the room but uh it goes back to the party which Rima, I know you are definitely soaked for the Nine Inch Nails. Uh, oh, <laughs> the end. hell yeah. Uh, as soon as that song starts playing, I was like, well, I know we're both rocking out. Um, hell yeah. <laughs> I've got to get, I don't know if anyone has a side note, and I don't mean to interrupt, but got to see if there's like a playlist of 
Uh, I, right. I love There's the a lot of so good far. music in that party. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or even just like this whole episode. There's a lot of great music. Because mm-hmm. even in the scene with Camille and her uh, assistants, as weird as that scene was, I'm sure we'll talk about that. There's some Bournes playing in her apartment or her house there. And I was like, ah, so good. I, so, gr- yeah, great music. Nine Inch Nails, Wicked Game. I mean, really, yeah. really great use of music in this episode. But yeah. Uh huh. But yeah, then let's we'll talk about it. The sprinkler scene uh, that ends. <laughs> Man, it's just it's so fucked up. And like you mentioned earlier, not really something that Flanagan does too much. He doesn't really do too much over the top like gore. Mm-hmm. It's very psychological and supernatural. But this was just brilliantly gruesome and horrific and disturbing. Uh, and the way that it shot, you know, this pure bliss of prospero that quickly changes to screams and panic that it doesn't take long with lights popping and flashing and the music going off and to where it doesn't take long to end with the entire mass of bodies of party guests is just this melted pile of goo on the floor with the last people alive just whimpering and gasping i'm just like god damn that was rough the noises even it wasn't just Mm -hmm. the visual it was um the audio as well yeah i mean this took me back to season four of stranger things with the squelching (laughs) (laughs) so much squelching (laughs) (laughs) Uh. that's all i could think i was like oh my god it's squelching again (laughs) so icky (laughs) Vecna, is that you? No, it's Perry. Um, <laughs> man. And and then Verna appearing again and uh, the kiss of death. That's that's really all I could say about yes. that last little thing. It's like, man. Uh, and then the title card at the end is just so freaking cool. I love that. I hope they do that every episode. Just like the gong. Follow the House of Usher. Because it's, it's a good punch right there at the end. Was a really uh, good punch. Yeah. Yeah, I did have one question because I mentioned, you know, the only other person that tracked Verna was Morella. Did she get out before the sprinklers went off? Even after two watches, I'm not actually 100% sure. Because, like, she sees that something weird is going on. She hears the voice of Verna telling her, get out. But then we don't see her leave. So I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know either. I, I don't recall seeing her. And I don't know. If she was, if she got out before everything was locked, so I don't know, mm-hmm. or if she w- could have followed the the bartenders and staff out that right. one door. Yeah, I don't know. Wouldn't that be something? If um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, mean, it was I never like mentioned, <laughs> but mm-hmm. yeah, I feel there's still definitely going to be some major fallout from this whole thing. I mean, obviously, Perry shows that there's a lot of very wealthy and famous and influential people who were at this thing that that's that's it's gonna be a huge deal you can't just kind of i would say you push it under the rug but you saw how those bodies were all melted to the floor you more got to scrape it under the rug uh (laughs) yeah and how do they how would they even trace the people that were there um, yeah, because those it was invitations all, like, were like accounts and yeah. yeah. I'm just, I was just trying to think of like how they sent the invitations and how private it was, how exclusive it was, and then being able to identify the people 
um, there at the party. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to know who that one person was that they pointed that he pointed to on the monitor. He's yeah. like, if you look real closely there, and they're like, oh my god, what is that? You know, and I'm like, who? Who is it? You know, I mean, it's com- I'm sure completely irrelevant, like to the story, mm-hmm. uh, the core story. But I'm like, well, who? Who? Who was right. it? Who was this person that we couldn't even like say a name or who they were or supposed to be? Clearly, I guess someone very powerful or influential or something. Who's somebody that can show up at an, a thing not related to them and people lose their ever living minds? Oh, Taylor Swift. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Perry. Perry and this party. And it wasn't even about the party. Uh, you know, I mean, I th- I think he, he thought that this was going to give him maybe some clout with the family that he could actually pull this off and do something with it. But it was mostly about all, all this blackmail because he had right, all of these which, cameras. Uh I have thoughts about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I it's... Uh. And I'm I'm not necessarily sad for I mean I think the sh- the show and this is what Mike Flanagan really excels at and that's character development mm-hmm. because I I'm you know I've gotten the feeling just the the very little that we've been exposed to the Usher family and the children especially like all of them seem pretty terrible in yeah. some form uh, but in this episode you know. Yeah, yeah. Perry was awful. He was, you know, had this whole idea of like blackmailing and videoing people without consent or knowledge, and you know, and especially like his his brother with with uh, Morel being there. So clearly, not a good person either. But mm-hmm. they did, I think, a good job of like getting you to feel sympathy for him because yeah. I I felt. There were moments that I felt bad for him, and you yeah, know he's just like the the little baby brother. He's the little boy mm-hmm. that is overlooked. Why are you here? We had everything set, and then you showed up, and he yeah. can't get anything done right. You know, everybody thinks he's a complete moron. After watching this episode, maybe they're onto something. I don't know. I've got thoughts, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he just seems to be like the black sheep of the family in the way that like they only claim him because they have to. Right. Well, and with that scene with Napoleon, it was like he was giving him all this praise and being like, you know, once you realize I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember the exact quote, but he's like, once you realize like your full potential, there's not going to be anything or anyone that can stop you. And then you're going to be, you know, at your best. And I'm like, if 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 only this had went in a little bit of a different way, right? Like, I feel like, you know, because he he did seem really smart. He seemed ambitious, um, but just definitely went down, like, the the wrong path um, to, mm-hmm. you know, to try and, and get the recognition, to get the respect and um, the attention, the good attention of his father, of his family, to kind of, again, change the status quo, like I mentioned earlier, changing his world. Um, so it's it's I, I wish we had gotten a little bit more time with him to kind of get to know his character a little bit, because here he is. He's already dead in the second episode. And I don't know if we'll 
if it if if the storyline's going to continue moving from this point after his death and and or if we'll see him in flashbacks and get to see him more but i i, I do like that they did a good job of like yeah he's a he's a pretty rotten character and he's going to do and plans to do anyway some really rotten things however you still manage to find sympathy for him um in yeah. a situation i Liked also, did you pick up on any foreshadowing in the opening episode or opening scene with him uh, lying in bed with the bodies all around him? And then that's how it that's how it ends uh, (laughs) with him surrounded by all of these like bodies, like uh, half naked bodies anyway. And that's how it kind of panned panned out, too. I thought that was kind of cool. Mm -hmm. Um, I hope. I wonder if they'll do that with others or if that was just this episode. Um, but anyway. Yeah, I, I am curious to see where they go forward. I mean, we know, again, all of the, the Usher children die in different ways. And so, yeah, honestly, it kind of excites me to watch further episodes and be like, okay, where do we, they're going to plant those little seeds and then we're going to see how it all happens one after the other. Mm-hmm. As like dark as that is to say, like, I'm excited to see how that all plays out. <laughs> it's fiction so i feel okay yeah, to, yeah. <laughs> yeah i give myself and us a pass because it's mm-hmm. all fiction and just being entertained yeah uh well my is my turn we've got got yes. just talking about stuff okay uh well i wanted to just kind of mention this one's kind of a short one but i've but i'm curious if it's going to play more into the rest of the series but the mention of the the comic the wizard of id mm-hmm. uh and the particular one that roderick uh points out about the golden rule mm-hmm. um so i feel kind of ancient talking about the wizard of id because i do remember that <laughs> comic and remember reading it and i i thought it was good uh but the golden rule that is mentioned from the Wizard of Id um, means that uh, in in whatever situation, the one uh, the one or ones could be more people, right, or um, authority that has the more financial leverage has the power to exert um, authority over others, and we hear Prospero start to say that kind of repeating the that golden rule um but do you notice that as he's saying it he gets cut off midway and it cuts to roderick mm-hmm. um because prospero probably in his circle he's the most powerful out of his friends he probably has more more money more influence just because of who he is and being an usher but as he's repeating the golden rule uh, it cuts him off and it cuts to Roderick because Roderick uh, has more money than Prospero. Yeah. He has more influence. He's also the father, so he's like the rule maker. But then when Roderick, as he's talking about the golden rule and he's reflecting back uh, when he um, first saw that comic, he gets cut off and it goes back to then his boss in that flashback uh, uh, rufus griswold who possessed the gold um yeah and of course roderick 
and Madeline somehow, hopefully we'll find out eventually, takes it away from Griswold. But I liked how they were kind of flashing um, and referring to that about, you know, mm-hmm. the one, uh, the golden rule, the one who has, you know, the gold makes the rules. Whoever has the gold makes the rules. Yeah. yeah. Which it's never actually finished. Nobody gets to say the full thing. In right. This episode. Like you said, it keeps getting cut off. The only way that you actually get to know for sure that the rules is how that ends is they show the like comic that's cut out and like framed on the wall, as he mentioned. Mm-hmm. You can read it there. But yeah, but anytime Prospero or, or Roderick tries to say it, they do get cut off. <laughs> yeah, I, I liked that. It, it, it felt meaningful, you know, kind of, again, reflecting that no, 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 it's not you. There's still someone above mm-hmm. you that's making the rules or that has the gold. And, um, and oh, no, 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 before you, it was this person, right? You know, so it, I like how it kept kind of cutting off. And I don't yeah. know if, um, if we'll see it again. I don't know if we'll, it'll get mentioned again, but it just, it stood out to me. Um, so I just wanted to kind of make a, a, a point about it. Um, and if, nice. if, if that's, if it doesn't carry on, if, we, if it's, like it's not mentioned again or isn't, kind of play into the theme or anything in the rest of the series um i still thought it was pretty cool at least in this episode how they used it yeah um because i i think that the direction and the editing and everything about the series so far has been really great so stood out to me and i just wanted to mention it yeah sure Uh, what's your next point all right honestly my last main point all right uh is I, I referenced it a little bit. I was like, I've got thoughts about that. Um, it's just <laughs> before the, the big masquerade party is our that, that beautiful idiot, Perry. Ah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. It just, yeah, it's a lot of the things that we see with him. Uh, party boy, Perry, right? As we see him waking up after like this big orgy, basically at his place. Got a very art deco modern uh, apartment or house there. With his friends crushing pills with a butt plug, you know, as you do. one does. Uh, (laughs) uh, And then he gets, like, threateningly scary with one of them, Farage, over some gull eggs, which were just there the whole time. But yeah, it was one of those things where you really see that, like, he is a little... Like, they play it off like he was joking, like he's just got, like, that kind of personality where he's, oh, you know, they say, oh, you almost got me, but, but really, you have to wonder, is like, would he would he really have done th- something if his eggs were gone? Like he seems a little unstable. Uh, I mean, Roger called him crazy. Yeah, you, you know, maybe he was. And just see his his lock screen on his phone was just a nipple. So okay, then. Um, this <laughs> 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 strange individual. Uh, but yeah, uh, a lot of it's just like I said, that beautiful idiot. Because throughout the whole episode, anytime it's you know Freddie or Camille or Victorine or Tammy, whenever Perry comes up, they're just like, "Oh well, he's too stupid. Oh, he's an idiot," you know. And you're like, "Man, they're really hard on their like kid brother." Until you see a lot of the things that he does in this episode, and you're like, "No, maybe they're onto something. He's not very bright. Like he's he's creative. Mm-hmm. He's got like his he's got this aspirational." and ambitious mind he knows how to put things and plans together and bring people together and make things happen but as far as thinking about the consequences again the consequential that that verna comes up with 
thinking about the consequences uh, consequences of his actions or how they affect other people or even the words coming out of his mouth and how they can be used against him or for something else. He just doesn't think about it. Mm-hmm. He's very selfish and short-sighted, and we see that a lot. Um, he's shadowing his oldest brother, Freddy, at the Fortunato business. They're facing litigation over these abandoned buildings that they own, which have been storing all kinds of like toxic chemicals, metals, etc. And that's negatively affecting the environments and stuff around these locations. Which is a little foreshadowing there, of course. You know, mm-hmm. one site had such a highly acidic concentration that, and then it just like gets cut off. And you're like, dude, yeah, um. <laughs> you were in the meeting. Yeah, you were, you were there. You were in the meeting. They said it was housing chemicals, and yet you're still gonna be like, oh, it's just water. Didn't Spray think it. to go check those <sighs> tanks to think that maybe right. that's where they're hiding and storing <laughs> the chemicals before they can yeah. dump them or whatever. Come on, it's like it was Harry. it was right there, dude. Yeah, uh, and he's. But again, he's aspirational, but it's not really in in hand with the family business. He's like, I want to party. I want to get people high. I want to make people happy, but I want to make people give me money. He's not thinking, you know, he's he's terrible at like the corporate evil part of the family business. Uh, You know, as these lawyers are breaking down what's going on, he's like, oh, that sucks about the environmental tragedies. But damn, these buildings are dope for my lavish parties. Maybe I should like just out in the open. Like, he's just like. If we own them, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, then I can throw some real ragers here. You know, like terrible for the family business. Absolutely, like (laughs) someone stuck a sock in his mouth, make him shut up. Oh my god! Yeah, which then I laughed so hard when Freddie called him Gucci Caligula. Gucci Caligula, that was so hilarious. Damn, if that's not the most accurate and hilarious (laughs) thing imaginable, you know, like. Man, I the writing like, that's good. So good. I'm gonna have to use that, like make that a username or something for something. I gotta keep that around. Yeah. I gotta keep that in my back pocket. That's too good. It is um, too good. <laughs> it's probably already out there since this is here. Yeah. It's already out there. We're 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 day late here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh which also just Frederick constantly saying mole instead of informant is funny. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I still just can't get it straight. <laughs> yeah. So that's just I, I feel about Harry. Like I said, he's He's a creative and aspirational personality, but he's just a stone cold moron when it comes to common sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's, it's, you know, yeah. No themes except it's got to be a masquerade. <laughs> like he just like he just his brain just goes wherever and everything just follows because he's he's a leader in the fact that he has that kind of money and influence and people are probably scared to not go along with him, mm-hmm. even his closest friends. So it's just like anything he says, we're gonna we're gonna do. Um. And then, of course, when he needs lots of drugs for this big party. Uh, so maybe the one sibling that doesn't just absolutely hate him is Napoleon, is Leo. Uh, which I love their little interaction. You know, like, who do you think I am to get all this stuff? You know, uh, <laughs> I'm offended and appalled. Of course I have it. Of course I can do it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I love Raleigh I swear. Yeah. so good. Uh, and the little Netflix in joke there that's funny. It's just like, you know, move that kind of weight. What have you been? You've been watching Narcos or something? Because you should if you have it. It's brilliant. Um, nice little <laughs> shout out. Yeah. Yeah. Another Netflix show. <laughs> but yeah, but it's just he's, the tanks on the roof of this building that he was explicitly told is housing dangerous chemicals. And he's just like, yeah, I'll assume it's water and we'll make it rain. Wet ass party. But I guess. 
WAP can also stand for like what a putz. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just not thinking. Which goes again. You said like this other side hustle of this party is you know fill the guest list with all these elites and celebrities and high profile individuals, and then use this hidden camera footage of them to blackmail them for their deviant behavior. I'm like, okay, that's a great plan for one time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and then you'll never throw another party again because people are going to avoid you for extor- extortion, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's like, he gets this idea where he's like, oh, I'll just do it for other people. Cause he was going to do it anyway by inviting Morella there. Cause he's mad at his brother for being an asshole. So that's why he's doing this. He's very just impulsive as well. I say he is, he was RIP Perry. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 So we see a lot of the characters like, so they make you feel sympathetic for him in some degrees, but then also, yeah, he's just not a good, he was not a good person. No. And we see just like, he's all over the place. He had, had no care for who or what got hurt in his way, as long as he could accomplish whatever insane things he wanted to do next. Yeah. No, but still terrible way to go. Yeah, definitely. Um, I only ha- you said that was your last point. I only have just yeah. some notes and like Easter eggs, so um, I'll just mention the ones we haven't already talked about. Um, we we got to see in the conversation between Dupin and Roderick uh, the looks like the ghost of. Perry, after his accident, post-accident, is roaming Mm -hmm. this childhood home the same as Roderick's mom. Yeah. But we finally learn what's up with Roderick. Like, oh, he something's going on with him. He's sick. There's something happening. Mm -hmm. And we find out what it is. He's got some sort of, I'm not even going to try to pronounce or give the full name of what that was, but it's some sort of like vascular dementia. Yeah. Um, and he says it can cause hallucinations among other um, side effects or um, other things from this disease. Do you think that he's seeing these ghosts as a as a symptom of this um, disease that he has, or do you think that the ghosts are real? Because Dupin did not react to see, like Perry full on just walk straight in between them and nice little jump scare there <laughs> in front of Roderick. Um, he's not, he didn't react. Um, so I'm curious what everyone's thoughts are about, about that. Is he a figment of his imagination or does Dupin just not see him? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, cause I feel like there's some, reality to it as far as whatever verna and this deal and everything that's happening like he's gonna be haunted by you know he's very set on like this is all his fault you know we see how perry dies and then roderick is still saying like you know i killed him you know yeah. he, he said he's he's meaning like by his actions by you know whatever bargain he may have made or whatever but you know because we see it it happened because of perry's stupidity but it's but Roderick is here saying it's like, but it has something to do with Verna. Yeah. And it's like, I know it's because of to still be determined or told what happened, what was made that, you know, the, the time to pay the piper has come. And so this is what he's paying with is with the lives of his children. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, he's definitely kind of being haunted by these ghosts of his past and I, I'm guessing feeling very guilty ab- about that. Um, and because he, yeah, he does keep repeating like his children are dead because it's his fault. And he's like, well, I killed him. And mm-hmm. it's like a little bit of the telltale heart yeah. going on, which I'm sure <laughs> will probably come out sometime. I, don't, I can't even remember mm. now all the titles of the episodes, but being something from Poe, I'm sure will play a part in some of this, but that's what it kind of reminds me of some of that guilt. Yeah. Um, and so learning about his, now he has this prognosis. Um, he only has some years left. And this is why we keep seeing this experiment from his other daughter, Victorine's, this heart mm-hmm. mesh thing that she's trying to do. He thinks it's going to help him in some way. I don't know that I understand exactly what he's trying to achieve or how exactly that this is going to help him. I don't think I've. I don't think it yeah, makes sense ex- in my brain, but he explained it a little bit. Yeah, that it's it's like a smart heart is what it was like, oh. almost like a robotic or you know, like there's this AI. It's an algorithm thing, I guess, also to it <laughs> that it's Very supposed smart. to be able to read read his heart and brain connection and like know what he needs at any given time to like help the health or whatever. That's just kind of what I read into it. It's very that yeah it's very we see, broad and vague yeah i thought because we see victorine and alessandra working on it uh the heart mesh which is like well they're <laughs> her uh little nest egg thing or whatever or her you know way to contribute to the family fits the main family business very well it's medical mm-hmm. but we see roderick like pushing her and rushing her to get it done and go to human trials and get it to market as fast as possible and it's nowhere near ready for that. And I'm like, it's like, why is he rushing it so much? And then when he reveals to Dupin that that's really the only way he's going to survive is if this thing gets done. So it's for him that he's pushing her to get it done. But yeah, it's this smart heart, a fake heart. And you just mentioned Telltale Heart. So uh, I can see those two connecting. <laughs> Maybe. Because uh, we've got to get Victorine's death in an episode somehow. Mm-hmm. Um so is it going to come along with that? Also, does her death have something to do with this nightshade that they're using in that trial that keeps getting brought up as well? I don't know. Runner. Yeah. Everything's related and everything has a purpose. It's intentional <laughs> somewhere, somehow. Yeah, I don't know. That, that, that makes more sense. I was like, I'm not quite clear on it. And maybe we don't need to really understand or whatever. But yeah, that's definitely why he's pushing. And it was interesting because when we get the flashback with uh, him in the office with Griswold, it sounds like their their main focus, at least in that day when Griswold was running the company, was medical devices. Because he talks about yeah. uh, that medical device and like, well, you know, this is this is what we lean into because this is what we're good at, and there's like less risk, and you know, um, that's that's what they were focused on. Where Roderick's like, yeah, but you know, think of the volume of that medical device and the people that need it versus like this pain med. Right. Um, so it's like, Oh, so that, you know, is it kind of also stems into what Fortunato was in, in the beginning were medical devices, um, not just like pharmaceutical. Yeah. Um, so that was interesting. Um, I have a couple of Easter eggs, but only a few, there might be more, but, and we might have already, well, I think they were already mentioned. So you mentioned 
when Roderick was reciting uh, Annabelle Lee to his wife, Annabelle, but mm-hmm. again, seems to be more something he wrote, not yeah. Poe in this world. And did you catch, uh, we, we heard the name of the lab known as Roderick Usher Experiment or Rumorg is what mm-hmm. they referenced it or nicknamed it. Um, yeah. I thought that was funny. So I didn't I didn't have any others um, from this episode. Uh, there might be others. I, maybe you have some or maybe our listeners will have some. The last one I had it isn't really an Easter egg, but it's a quote. And you mentioned part of it. I loved that quote from Verna at the party when she's talking to Perry. And she says, there are always consequences. Take you, for instance. Someone a long time ago made a little decision, then another, then a big one then one of absolutely no importance. And then by and by, you were born. On that day, you were the consequence of a harmless choice made by someone in a moment where you didn't even exist. And that choice defined your whole life. You are consequence, Perry. And tonight you are consequential. So was all of that, is she referring to Roderick talking about, you know, a dis- made a little decision, then another, then a big one, then one of absolutely no importance? Mm-hmm. talking about Roderick in some way. Um, again, I think tying into this whole relationship, who is Verna, what happened when Verna met Madeline and Roderick, what, what is all of this about? And, yeah. and she tries to get him to stop. Like she gives him an opportunity like to, to stop the party and, and not go through with it. So I, I, I don't quite have it all figured out because I feel like I don't know who Verna is. I don't know why. And he was given the choice and, and then she lets out or she warns like the bartenders and the staff, but because Perry made his choice and that there was a consequence to that, it was like, I don't know. I'm trying to, just piece it all together like the the people at the party wanted to be there but the staff did not they were told to be there to work so they got to leave and even morell i was curious why because she was invited and chose to be there but is it because she was kind of unsure about being there was it because like she's like i don't know that i want to be here i'm kind of uncomfortable being here i don't know if i should be here because I was like, why did she warn Morel to get out? I don't know if she got out, but she did warn her yeah. to leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So much mystery just kind of <laughs> and say, playing it around in my head, just trying to make it make sense. I don't know. But I don't know. If I got someone dressed like um, Carla Gugino did in this episode, um, in this you know trippy party, telling me to get the hell out or run, I think I'm going to run. I'm going to go. <laughs> I think I'm going to listen. <laughs> um Oh, one more Easter egg. I did, there was um, the movie Hush. There was a mask used in that movie. Uh-huh. There was a mask in this episode at the party that looked very, very similar to that. Ah, don't know if that was on purpose. Don't know if I picked up on that, but I think it was one I of noticed that one. One of Perry's. Um, they have this thruple, you know, yeah. going on. I think it was one of them that had this mask that looked very much like the mask in that was used in hush that's cool nice little that makes sense planiverse easter egg i love that movie it's so good. it was so so good mm-hmm. um that was all that i had all the notes and easter eggs and and things nice. what what do you have i i've got a, a 
little list of just random notes and thoughts, of course. Uh, I will say, because we, we, maybe I haven't looked at the feedback, so maybe you included this, I don't know. But uh, Mofevo, over this like week, reached out to us about episode one with the uh, Ouija board in the uh, Eliza flashback at the Usher house when the <laughs> Madeline and Roderick were kids. And like, I did notice it, but we I don't know why we completely forgot to talk about it, because it we talked about it in Boston. We did. Just like you and a little I, bit. In we person, were like, yeah. But not yeah. on the podcast. I totally, yeah, yeah wasn't even thinking about it. I was it. like, yeah, that was weird. Is like hyper religious kind of character that Eliza was. Why would that have been in that house? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's just like a, a callback to Ouija origin of, Eve, uh, origin of Evil that Mike Flanagan directed as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, let's see. Just other. Random thoughts. Again, uh, we don't get a lot of Pym, the Pym Reaper, in this episode. <laughs> Mark, Mark Hamill. But I really, I'm still really enjoying his character. We really only see him in that scene at the office with the, the lawyers and stuff. Yeah. But just, he's got that very disregard, any and all words from the idiot child vibe. <laughs> you know, just every time Perry says anything, he's just like, clearly he doesn't know what he's talking about. No, he doesn't mean that. No, he's just like, ignore him. He's an idiot. Uh, but yeah, he's the family attorney. I mentioned last week that he just he's keeping everyone afloat and alive. I swear, you know, mm-hmm. he's like coaching word for word the things we get that, you know, it's funny because Freddie's like, and if you don't know what to say, here's what you say. And then you see Pam standing in the background also like reciting it word for word, like making sure like you've got this to a script. We at Fortunato take our responsibility to the environment very seriously, and we are aligned with you in our mutual goal of compliance with any and all regulatory guidelines. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, talked about the heart mesh. Other just like little goofy things. I do love that there's a good bit of humor sprinkled in in places. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Tammy's husband, Bill T, or Bilt, uh, <laughs> the cheesy workout video guy. And that Camille is so like, oh, this is stupid. And then later we see Camille in her own home, just like punching and jabbing and doing, you know, like to win the video watching Bilt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> Which, yeah, Camille, the media queen, uh, looking for ways to disprove the people that are speaking up against the family in the trial. Uh, while also trying to dig in on this possible informant, if they exist. And we see a little bit of this dynamic between her and her assistants, which is just so weird. There's very weird. Lot, this is a, a, a horny episode. There's a lot of, a lot of yeah. sex and kink going on. Um, mm-hmm. We get, get some real insight into these, you know, characters. And I'm very curious. I'll say that. Yeah. Because, yeah, because Toby and Tina, her assistants... You know, as she says at the office, oh, you will be needed this evening. And like, what do you, what do you need? And they show up and it's, uh, of course, it's, well, Camille's an usher. So obviously it's a power dynamic sex thing uh, because mm-hmm. that, that's, that's what makes sense. Because uh, there's even more uh, weird stuff with that, with uh, Tammy. So we get to like the little scene where she hires a woman to dress up like her and be her stand in for dinner and romantic evening and eventually sex with her husband all while she's watching and it's it's like i'm sure somewhere in the world it exists this isn't the first time this has ever happened but at least me personally it's the first case of a female in a straight relationship being cuckolded i think i've ever seen it's not (laughs) yeah cuckolding herself was i was like Mm -hmm. i've not seen that before Um, yeah so that was interesting (laughs) yeah 
yeah, it was really interesting. Uh, then let's see if I had anything else. I mentioned the nightshade. Yeah, so the last thing is just a kind of little joke. Because uh, we get Lenore and Freddy working on the ships, and I can't see a ship in a bottle without thinking of Chris Pratt from Parks and Rec, Andy Dwyer, in the episode where he's in uh, Bradley Whitford's character's office, mm-hmm. and he's got the ships in the bottle everywhere. And you just see, like, uh, you know, Bradley Whitford's character is talking to to Leslie Nope, and then you see Andy go, I got it! I got it out! And he's been in there, and he pulls a boat out of the bottle, completely intact. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's not... How did you even... So, yeah. <laughs> Good show. Good show. <laughs> but, yeah, so anytime I see a ship in a bottle, I just think of Andy from Parks and Rec. I got it out! I did it! <laughs> As one does. But, yeah, that's, that's all I got. Good stuff. Yeah, I think that's a good, a good place to wrap. I, again, a lot of mystery, still a lot of questions. I'm sure we'll get more. It's only only second episode, so. But yeah, really great. I I really enjoyed this one for sure. Excited for the next one. All right. Well, that takes us into our listener feedback. We got some really great feedback this week. So, um, do you want to kick off the first one there for me? All right. First one from Alma Contreras. Says, First off, the cast is amazing. It's always cool to see Flanagan's regulars, but now he added Mark Hamill, who is awesome as the family lawyer. And I just love Bruce Greenwood and Mary McDonald, who are killing their characters. The storyline with the drug trials is eerily reminiscent of Oxycontin. Crazy. And okay, on to Perry. Oof, what a death. So was the masked chick the devil? And did the sister-in-law get out? Can't wait to hear the cast. Good questions. Um, yeah. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, I can't really give you an answer because we're asking the same questions ourselves. Same yeah. questions. I mean, I don't know. She, I don't know that she's, well, I mean, we, we asked last episode, like, oh, is she like a, a devil? But in the, in the story, um, it was death, right? So is yeah. she, is she death? I, I, I don't know. We, and we may not know. Mm-hmm. Lindsay Schlicht says, unfortunately, I can't say I loved this one. It's making me nervous for the rest of the series. The thing I love most about Mike Flanagan is how beautifully he does horror with heart. How one minute he's scaring the crap out of me and the next I'm crying about some tragic love story. It's hard to imagine we're going to get that this season. I feel like I'm watching American Horror Story, the Kardashians do Dallas or something. Terrible family and their sexcapades and nothing else. I did enjoy one moment of horror with Perry, but otherwise was left underwhelmed and disappointed. I hope I'm totally wrong and we will still somehow get some heart in there somewhere. I yeah, valid, valid. Valid for sure. For sure. It was a departure. <laughs> this episode was a departure. Um mm-hmm. and yeah, this so far what I've seen, it's not Hill House. Yeah. <laughs> so which is where we got the horror with heart for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, well, we have the next one from Don Elizabeth, which kind of two parts for each episode. Because first she says, I just watched episode one. Didn't think you'd mind if I commented on it. No, not at all. Always do. Always. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Says, I know nothing about this show except for the title. I enjoyed the first episode and I'm looking forward to watching episode two. The best thing for me is the cast. I'm so happy to see actors from Flanagan's other work, plus a few others. With a cast and creator like the ones this show has, it's going to be awesome. And then after episode two, she says... Well, I didn't see that coming. The father said he killed the kids. Hmm. Curious to see what comes next. Thank you, Don. 
Marine Favo says, I think I'm team Verna. Final scene at the party was perfection. <laughs> Couple of observations. Dupin boss asked him, okay, then say you win. If you could catch them all, take all of it, all the greed, the foulness, the rot in the world and sit down across from it, what would you say? Is that what conversation uh, with Usher is or will, will there be another conversation? Will conversation be what Dupin is aiming for? Loved Wizard of Id comic growing up. About Perry's orgy pitch to Morella. Having never been pitched on debauchery party, is that how it's done? Those words on front steps of your mansion? But leave it to Mike Flanagan to make it work. Not sure. I want to find out what led to Tamerlane's issues. Uh, is mm-hmm. damn it Toby wearing a kilt? Why? Because kilts are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I do love the damn it, Toby. Damn it, Toby. Toby. Damn it. <laughs> uh, and this last uh, Facebook one here comes from Mary Patricia Dorigo. says, gruesome death, but well-deserved. Wasn't sad when it happened, but did jump scare me in the old house living room scene. I wonder if the bartenders and servers at the orgy were the same as the ones in the bar on New Year's Eve, 1979. Hmm, I'd have to go back and, and check on that. That's a really good thought. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I did not go back. We did get an email uh, this week from our good friend Daphne and Pink's other co-host. She says, Hi, Rima and Pink. Loved this episode and I'm fully invested in this series already. It's just the right amount of gore and creep factor. I'm sad we will see no more Perry as I enjoyed his ideas of debauchery. Given Prospero's earlier appearance to Roderick, I had a feeling that once the entity told Morella to leave that something sinister was going to rain from the ceiling. Makes me think that the acid or whatever was in those tanks was a failsafe put there to disintegrate anything that needed to disappear. Again, I adore that Flanagan reuses actors as we get to see so many of our favorite from previous series pop up here. And the music was sublime. The tie-in to The Mask of the Red Death is pretty incredible as it includes the masquerade party and the Red Death itself has been described as profuse bleeding from pores, which connects really well to death by disintegration. Even the robe and mask worn by the entity matches the story. I'm sure there are more, but these are the ones that stand out to me. Can't wait to hear your thoughts. Daphne. Awesome. Awesome as always. Thank you so much, Daphne. First voicemail we have is from our good friend, Laura. Let's see what she had to say. Greetings, Rima and Paik. Hooray! Strange Indeed is back in our ear holes. I'm so glad you guys are back. It's the perfect time of year to get back into the podcast. It's the perfect time of year for spooky Mike Flanagan stories. And it is the perfect time of year for Edgar Allan Poe, my... Muse, my hero. I have a long, long history with Edgar Allan Poe. Um, When I was a little kid, I was never the one to ask my parents for bedtime stories or fairy tales. I asked to be told ghost stories. So my dad would recite to me many Edgar Allan Poe stories that he happened to just have in his memory banks. And I fell in love with Edgar Allan Poe from probably the time I was six years old. So I am so, so excited for this new Mike Flanagan series, The Fall of the House of Usher. Um, I think it's going to be, it looks like from the first episode, I'm, I'm not 
um, on to the second episode yet, but it looks like from the first episode that this is a uh, more of a Mike Flanagan story wrapped up in the loose framework of the fall of the House of Usher with many, many of other Poe's other Poe works sprinkled in. So I'm I'm looking forward to that because I I'm familiar with and love so many of his short stories and his poetry. Um, some of the things I like. The family, the Usher family, wow, they remind me so much of the family from Knives Out. In fact, I got some heavy <laughs> Knives Out vibes in some of these scenes, especially in that old um, huge mansion with them all together. They're they're just so petty and ruthless to each other. They reminded me a lot of the characters from Knives Out. But I am really happy to see all of our old Mike Flanagan favorites, uh, favorite actors back again and doesn't matter who they're playing those actors are always great um some of the things i i don't really love right now but i'm sure uh as the series progresses it might not be such an issue for me is i i don't care for some of the modern references i mean poe was such a master of gothic romance and gothic horror that i just like i really want to see this set in those gothic scenes like the beginning where Dupin and Usher are talking in the old dilapidated uh, family home of his, which is just like the story. But um, all the references to social media and media, uh, they're they kind of date a show for me because if you watch this in another five or six years, it's like, are those media references going to kind of date a show? It I, I think uh haunting of hill house kind of did it better where it was set in a modern day setting but it didn't have so many uh very to date media references but you know not a big deal i'll probably get over that i really also would have liked to have seen Auguste dupin who is a big character in about three of Edgar Allan Poe's short stories. Um, I would have liked to see him as an investigator instead of a DA because um, Edgar Allan Poe is known to have been the godfather of the modern day detective story and inspired um, Sir Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and Agatha Christie to write um, murder mysteries and create the character of Sherlock Holmes. So kind of sad that he's not and a detective or investigator of some sort. Um, also, I was glad to see that Paik noticed the substance on um, Roderick's fingers when he was in the bar on New Year's Eve. Uh, considering the apparition, we'll say, that Roderick sees in the limo at the end of the episode, I think I have a seek- sneaking suspicion being familiar with one of Edgar Allan Poe's most famous short stories, what he and his sister might have been up to on that auspicious New Year's evening. So we'll just have to see how that uh, turns out. I'm really excited to go further, watch the rest of the series, and see what you guys think. Welcome back, Strange Indeed, and I'll catch you on the flip side. Love that. (laughs) Thank you, Laura. Yeah. My twisted sister. Um, good stuff. Of course, random tangent, but I thought about it because you mentioned like perfect spooky time of the year for all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's just a little tie in. I'm just gonna shout out to Blackcraft Cult because uh, yeah. <laughs> while we were up in Massachusetts, we, me and a, you know, a, a small little group of us took a trip up to Salem 
and went into the Black Craft store and I bought myself a new hoodie there. And I was just going to give a shout out there because I showed Raymond because it is a like Edgar Allan Poe hoodie with a big raven on the back says Nevermore. And it's so cool. I love it a lot. I think like four of us bought the same hoodie. Like we now have a group that's like matching. It's gorgeous. (laughs) It's absolutely gorgeous. I I love it so much. Yeah, it, it absolute perfection. Um, yeah, I mm, a lot of good points, Laura. I and I totally yeah. You make a really good point too about the like the modern day references, mm-hmm. social media being one. Um, yeah, I it I get what you're saying. It doesn't take me out of it, but I totally get what you're saying. And yeah, they did. I I think a really good job with that in Hill House too. Um, but hopefully. Um, you know, there, there isn't a whole lot of that as the series continues. And I also am also curious, um, cause I have a little sneaky suspicion as well, what she was talking about with episode one with the, what was on yeah. Roderick's hands in the bar scene. Mm-hmm. Love it. I knew, <laughs> I knew we were going to hear from Laura cause yeah. she, I knew, um, she is so into Poe, um, and I, I'm really glad to hear from her. Keep writing in or leaving us some voicemails, Laura. We have two voicemails from our friend Steve. Um, for ep- I've got the first one for episode one and then another for episode two. So let's get into those. Hello, Strange Indeed. This is Steve. I uh, just finished watching the first episode of Fall of the House of Usher. And uh, wow, I'm... Uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, that Mark Hamill character um, seems to be uh, a real good fixer, lawyer, whatever. Um, can't wait to see how the rest of this series kind of develops. Uh, I loved listening to your coverage of it. Uh, I did listen to it, listen to you guys first, and then uh, decided to watch the episode. So um, I may try to do a live Steve of episode two tonight. Uh, this is Wednesday that I'm sending this and I'm leaving tomorrow, uh, to meet up with, uh, y'all, the other Zeds, uh, on our annual, uh, reunion. So, um, yeah, fall the house usher. It's, it's got me hooked. I'm going to be interested to see where it goes from here. Talk to you later. All right. Thank you, Steve. And let's get into his thoughts on episode two. Hello, Strange Indeed. This is Steve, and this is going to be for episode two of The Fall of the House of Usher, uh, The Mask of the Red Death, right? Okay, so this is Dupin, Dupin, uh, anyway, the prosecutor guy, back in 1979, and he was a fraud investigator. Hmm. Your son Prosper was just crazy. He was like a hedonist. All of these, uh, this orgy, wow, that he's waking up from now. Apparently somebody else is pills and this is quite a house did he just drink those eggs raw ew what's the significance of frederick keep messing up mole and informant <laughs> perry's dealer oh oh you i can like you watch narcos or something which you should watch narcos because it's brilliant i've never seen narcos by the way is that the ghost of his mom walking around back there behind what's that uh the lawyer guy, what's his name? Okay, that was, I didn't jump, but that was shocking. I guess whatever that thing is, is new. Yeah, uh, the Wizard of Ed, I remember the Wizard of Ed. <laughs> Communications, logistics, office. No, it's a mailroom. <laughs> wow, young Madeline is talking AI from 1979. Interesting. Here to go, Juno. Bond with your granddaughter over a blowjob story. I have no comment on this dinner party here. I can't remember the woman. That, she's the usher, right? And her husband, and she just likes to watch her husband 
Uh, with other women. Oh, Frederick's wife is actually gonna go to this thing? Okay, so the club is all about the blackmail. Hey, who is this blonde woman with Prospero? Is that Carla Gugino? Oh, you better go, Frederick's wife. She told you to go, you should go. Yeah, I figured it's some kind of acid or something in those tanks up there on the roof that you connected the sprinklers to. Oh, ugly. Okay, and that's where it ends. Oh, okay, the end of the first episode, we had Roderick bleeding from the nose. And that was, But that was weeks, that was a couple weeks before the events that are happening now where he's giving his confession to uh, uh, Dupin, right? I, I don't know. All right, episode three next week or whenever. See you tomorrow or Friday. <laughs> <laughs> and we did. <laughs> yeah, we hung out. I remember him talking to me uh, in the, the kitchen at the Airbnb where he was like, I sent you the voicemails for this and this and this. I was like, yeah, we'll get to them. Uh, we had a fun time hanging out. Glad we're back to this. And thanks, everybody. I do want to say for being patient with us while we did like miss a week releasing an episode right when we started a new show but with all the travel and everything you know we got to get together and, and have our fun so we really appreciate it and thank you guys for being patient and waiting that week and still coming through and giving us all this great feedback and stuff this week and continuing on the ride with us yeah we have the best listeners and yeah it was um amazing to get to spend time with everyone so we do appreciate everyone's patience while um you know we we got through our travel and doing our annual reunion, as Steve would say, um, with everyone and all the folks that could make it. I'm already um, ready to start planning for next year. Yeah. <laughs> where are we going to go uh, next year? So <laughs> I've, I think you're in the group. Th- you, you know where I where my vote is. I've got an idea of a place. I've been talking to I, I think I threw my vote in for the same. So If we want to stick with kind of a, a spooky yeah. vibe a little bit, it's a good one. It's I good absolutely one. <laughs> agree. I would not be mad about it at all. So we'll see. We'll see if um, if we get outvoted or not. Um, <laughs> but anyway, we're we are we're back on our regular schedule, at least for the moment. I've uh, I'll talk to you about it later. I do have some travel coming up in like two weeks. That's going to fall right mm-hmm. around our recording time. So of course, I, <laughs> and and it is not um you know uh Zed related or reunion related. But I will be out of town, so we'll we'll talk about that later. But. Yeah. For the moment, we are back to our regular weekly recording schedule <laughs> for um, all those that are wondering. So next week, we will be covering um, episode three of the fall of uh, the House of Usher titled Murder in the Rue Morgue. Um, excited for that one. I can't wait to see um, see it after we wrap this tonight. I'm yeah. hoping I can um, get that in and after I get done editing. But I'm excited. Yeah. It'll be a fun one. I'm excited to watch. But yeah, so thanks again for all the feedback. If you want to leave us messages, voicemails, all of that stuff, Facebook, through uh, our email, all of that, you can find all the links, all the stuff you need at podcastica.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out our other shows. There's a lot going on right now on podcastica.com. Um, Jason and Lucy just wrapped up the Daryl Dixon finale. Mm-hmm. Um, the Ted Lasso rewatch with Ben and Kristen. Uh, Penny's doing a Buffy rewatch uh, right now. Um, Wheel of Time wrapped up, I think, a few weeks ago. Yeah. Loki is running right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's Alex, Sydney, and Kirk doing that one. And 
I'm really enjoying season two of Loki, especially awesome. this last week's episode. Awesome. So, yeah. Well, and if you need a little something light after all this dark stuff, especially after like this episode, <laughs> you can definitely check out our coverage on Strange Indeed here where we're covering Great British Bake Off. With <laughs> if you need something a little bit lighter, cleanse the palate, you know, after mm-hmm. watching something like that, we're having fun there. Um, you know, just covering something a little light. We love Bake Off here at Strange Indeed. Um, so yeah, check out podcastica.com and um, all the great shows, including Run For Your Lives, Pake, with you and Daphne. You guys, you're wrapping up your season, right? Is that where you're at? Yeah, we're, we're kind of closing out the season and then we'll be gone for about a month. Take our little break. We'll still be getting stuff together for the next season. A lot of good movies. But yeah, the, this final season has been fun as far as, uh, or not final season, this final bit of this season let me make sure people don't think oh no they're going away no we'll be back soon um but yeah so we did pet cemetery nice both the original the 80s original and the 2019 remake we did our tremors episode we did tremors 7 shrieker island wrapping up that series right now as well uh this weekend will be our uh season seasonal look back special where we go back and kind of pick our favorite monsters and creature characters and movies and all this for that last season and then we'll have a halloween special coming up next week as well sticking with the pet cemetery themes pet cemetery bloodlines is out and it is a prequel and so we'll be covering that for halloween and releasing that on halloween so that tuesday should be looking for your feed for its special episode there of bloodlines nice (laughs) go check them out right so yeah so just make again make sure to go to podcastica.com you, you can find all of the podcasts that are going on there. You can subscribe, leave reviews, all of those things that help all of us at Podcastica get ourselves out to more listeners to where you can share in the love with these podcasts with more and more people. We get more people to come hang out with us when we go do those things, too. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Please and thank you in advance. Yeah. So for now, that is our show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, Until next time. I'm Rima. And I'm Pig. And Julie Gary is strange indeed.